Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, making mobile locations smarter. Today, Karen Jensen and I began a two-part interview with Joe Jensen, who heads up Intel's retail division worldwide. The second half of our interview will be on air next week. Joe Jensen, welcome to Sparkplug. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your history at Intel. I know you've been at Intel for a while. Tell us about your history there. Oh, gosh. I, I, I'm a long timer for sure. I've been at Intel 36 years and started as an engineer in product development and rotated through mostly engineering disciplines uh, and then moved into business around 1990. And I've been that, spent the entire career in the non-PC side and in the uh, embedded or now IoT space. Great. Well, I'm curious, um, could you tell us about the mission and goals of the retail business unit at Intel? Yeah, the, the team uh, is really focused on how do we help businesses who are B2C type companies, whether it's in retail, uh, hospitality, retail side of banking, uh, and even in education, <laughs> how do we help those, those end companies better use technology to, to improve the customer satisfaction and ultimately improve their business results. So how big is Intel Retail today? Uh, well, I can't uh, say uh, specific numbers. We do report to the street the size of our IoT business. This collection of B2C uh, markets that, that my team looks after is the largest part of the IoT business. Well over uh, $3 billion a year uh, right. for, for the overall IoT business. So you must have seen a lot of transformation during your time at Intel and especially in the retail space. So how has retail transformed? Well, I think you know, retail has been under you know, tremendous uh, transformative pressure, probably more than 10 years. But I think most retailers have been really feeling it for more than a little over five years. It's interesting when we first started trying to, to help retailers go beyond just point of sale as the technology footprint in the store. I remember going out and, and talking to them about this online retailer, Amazon. Amazon's growth was like 35% a year and brick and mortar retail at the time was growing four or 5% a year. And we'd you know, bring that up in, in these uh, meetings with executives in retail and, and they leave in batting an eye. They were just like, yeah, you know, that's really not a meaningful uh, part of our business. They're not really very big. We're not at all worried about it. And really retail executives didn't seem to start worrying about uh, online competition until it became about 10% of the business in the year. Remember at the time, you know, saying, hey, you know, maybe it's because our former CEO, Andy Grove, wrote a book, you know, Only the Paranoid Survive. But, you know, we're really paranoid about things like this. And, and we think that this online thing might really be something. And, and I think, you know, what's happened is the narrative uh, in the media has really been how Amazon and online are killing brick and mortar. And we think that they really have it backward. We think that consumer expectations are rapidly evolving. And consumers have very low tolerance now for what we call friction, you know, anything that makes their, their experience um, you know, slower, uh, less desirable, less satisfactory. And online has just been way better at adapting and delivering to these new expectations than brick and mortar. Interesting. What are you most optimistic about in technology and retail? The thing I'm most optimistic about is that how effective these new technologies are at delivering a better customer experience and at the same time increasing uh, business results or improving business results. You know, we've done so many pilots and studies within retailers trialing these technologies and the results are always really off the charts in terms of the kind of ROI they deliver. 
The challenge is brick and mortar retailers today, I think, still feel trapped by the model P&L that, that Wall Street has been holding them to. Right, you know, right. there, there's a, a model of how much they should spend on every category, including tech. And for a long time, you know, the IT side of retail has been on a path of how do we minimize our spend on IT? I remember I was at a CEO conference 10 years ago. And we were in a small breakout session with uh, 20 uh, CIOs and they were talking about what's the benchmark for best in class for IT spending. And they had concluded in this breakout session, 1.86% of revenue, or was that what was the ideal? And towards the end, they, you know, they asked me for, for what I thought. And I remember standing up and saying, you know, it strikes me that you guys are cutting yourselves into irrelevance. Interesting. And, and you know, they, they didn't like that answer very much, but I think the reality, if you look at like a Walmart, Walmart is spending, you know, multiples of that per year. And if you read lately the news on where Walmart and how they're positioned, they're so well positioned from a technology perspective to deliver on these new consumer expectations. One of the biggest problems with customer satisfaction, if a, if a shopper is going to go to the store to get something, it's probably because they wanted it right now. Right. And if you're out of stock, pretty hard to have that be a good experience for the customer. Even down to the, the real basics of, of just making sure you have the right inventory. Players like Walmart, you know, had the license, I think, with Wall Street to spend at a much greater rate. And Walmart, you know, bought Jet and that gave them kind of a reason to spend more on IT. But, you know, Walmart over the last five years has fundamentally retooled their entire infrastructure. And they're so well equipped now uh, moving forward. And there are, there are other players like that, that have been doing what Walmart has. And they're incredibly well positioned for the future. And then we see a lot of players who are still trapped in the cycle of, I got to spend one and a half percent of my revenue on IT and I can't possibly go compete with this online stuff. You know, how do I do it? Oh, I have no money. And I'm like, you know, you're going to end up cutting yourself into irrelevance and, and your brand will be acquired by somebody else who will run it like an online retailer. Right. So if that spend about is wrong, what's the right spend thing into technology and new kinds of innovation you know the the right number i think is is tough i think the the better question is you know when do you think you need to be in a position to be competitive with these new technologies you know when, when will your uh set of competitors uh be delivering that kind of experience and one of the things we know is that shoppers still like to shop in stores you know physical right. retail is not going to go away and we don't have any any notion that that physical retail goes away we think it's going to completely transform. And, and if we look at you know retail, it, it's kind of broadly bifurcated into two camps. Uh, there's the traditional brick and mortar camp where they're, they're very cost centered. You know, how do I cut costs? You know, a dollar of cost savings is a dollar of profit. A dollar of revenue is only, uh, you know, a, a bit more margin. Uh, and then exactly. you get the cost there. So they're super focused on cost, cost, cost. And I think, you know, for a long time, brick and mortar really relied on this kind of, you know, easy button of, you know, sale. Everything's on sale, 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 promote, discount. And, and that attracted a large audience who were very motivated by price, but not all consumers are motivated by price. <clears throat> so if you look at this online, you know, my favorite examples, we were meeting with a consultant in, in one of my staff. She leaned over and said, where did you get that dress shirt? And he kind of chuckled and and they said, well, you know, I actually, <clears throat> I bought it at uh, a Costco. And she said, you know, um, our company makes uh, those shirts and we make them for Costco. We make them for Sam's Club and we make them for Amazon. They're all private label. And the price at Costco and Sam's Club was, you know, a few pennies difference. It was a little over $18 at Costco and just under, under 18 with Sam's Club. And she said, Amazon sells more than Costco and, and, and uh, um, Sam's combined. And they sell them for 
Fascinating. And, and the reason that is, is because the Amazon has the ability with their data and their analytics to find the customers who will pay $39 for that shirt. Right. And, and if you, you know, of course, you know, the big box stores, you know, Costco and Sam's, they're, they're, they're oriented towards, you know, selling, you know, a, a great value. But I think the point is really relevant. And when we work with, you know, the new generation, really the digital native uh, retailers, uh, they've typically started with an online only brand. You know, uh, Chubby's is an example of one that, that, you know, they started online, they got to, you know, just under a billion dollars in revenue. And, and what we're finding is retailers, these, these online brands can't expand beyond, much beyond that level unless they start to get brick and mortar for broader exposure. Right. And when we talk to those companies, you know, they come to us and, and they, they have a long list of the kind of insights they want to get about the shoppers real time in the store. And they already know what they want in terms of insights and data. And they ask us for help getting it. And they contrast that with the conversations we've been having for 10 years with traditional retailers. We're still in the phase of trying to explain to them why data would be important. Right. And, and so, you know, I think yeah, this mindset of online is, is I think that what you're going to see is the brands, the, the, the brick and mortar retailers who fail to embrace, you know, data and analytics uh, will be the leadership will be replaced by these digital natives, even for for small and medium retailers. You think? Yeah, I, I think so. And you and, and if you're you know a, a little mom and pop sole proprietorship or you got six or eight stores, um, interesting data point. I have all these interesting uh, historical data points. Um, I have had a friend who was running uh, a uh, supply chain business, uh, supplying uh, mostly mom and pop health food stores. And they had, I don't remember, the huge, huge number, 2,000 sole proprietorships and a number of small chains. And at the time, Sprouts was their biggest client. Sprouts had like 40 stores. So it's a while ago. But they did it. They started really trying to use data analytics to help their small uh, customers as the supply chain. And what they found is that the small, uh, the stores that were the top performing, where the owner had one store, we're doing 5x the sales per square foot of the best chains and even small chains, you know, so you, you figured out you're killing it as the owner of one store, you add three or four more stores, and now your sales efficiency drops like a rock. And that's because the owner of that store is in the store all day long, every day, they are the analytics engine for the store. And as right. soon as they spread themselves thin, now, now they don't have that, that personal insight that they were getting in their store. Right, but it's not only the personal insight, but it's the personal touch. I mean, Karen has led our team in a number of interviews with small retailers. We've seen a lot of success, but the success is this kind of customized white glove experience. You come in the store, you know the guy's name. He's already picked out a shirt that says, I know you like blue shirts, Ned. I found a new one for you. It's really kind of a white glove experience for, for, for small retailers. So how important... It, is it for those small retailers to have data and analytics if they're able to provide that kind of customized experience? Well, I think if you're trying to reach, you know, talking to uh, sole proprietorships where they've got, you know, single store, um, I don't think they're going to have the scale and they probably don't have the need. You know, the owner is probably the primary uh, person in the store giving that kind of service. You know, a great example uh, in Phoenix, there's a menswear uh, shop that um, I went to the first time, you know, many years ago and bought uh, a blazer, a Canale blazer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went back like three years later and, you know, I'm Joe by coincidence, the guy that served me then with his name was Joe. I walked in the store three years later, Joe looked up and said, Hey Joe, how are you doing? Oh, how did wow. that Canale blazer work out for you? 
Oh. Now that's an off the charts example of service. Um, you know, I know that Nordstrom, Barney's, you know, all, all of the, the premium larger uh, chains aspire to that kind of service. And it's unlikely that every staff member is going to be able to deliver that kind of service. So, so we think, you know, a technology to augment uh, that service and to enable all the staff to, to get deliver some experience closer to that is where things are at. A small store, you know, you store, uh, somebody owns one store like this, it's called the Clothery in Phoenix. They own that one store. Right. Um, they've got a set of, of staff members who are all like Joe and they've been there forever. They know their clients really well. Um, and, and the amazing thing is Joe even remembered what size I bought and which jackets would fit me well. So when I went over to the rack and pointed a couple, he's like, yeah, that won't really fit you right. Try this one. Right. And I have a retailer here in the Northwest who has the same experience with me. He knows exactly how many shirts I've bought. Um, one challenge that we've seen with small retailers, though, is that they are increasingly seeing the pressure of adopting technology, sometimes for technology's sake. And of course, it needs to be appropriate for their business. But frankly, Intel is in the business of technology. What have you seen out there that's been successful? Well, I think that, you know, the best success really comes when when people try to, and we're, you know, again, focusing on smaller enterprises. Um, it's unlikely that the owner of the clothery is a technology person, right? So, you know, th their swim lane is, is menswear retail. And the best way that they could be served by technology is to step back and say, what aspects of my business do I want to improve? What aspects of customer service do I want to improve? And, and, then, and then approach technology partners with the business problem that, they that they've defined and look for technology uh, providers who can help you solve that specific business problem. And ideally, you know, our focus is we pioneer those solutions with our partners and then we, we really try to steer customers to proven solutions so that, you know, the owner of that, that store isn't helping that partner build it the first time, but rather, you know, we're steering people to solutions who've already scaled elsewhere. So you don't have that, you know, I'm the first one to try at risk. Yeah. So I'm curious, what is the coolest new piece of technology that you've seen in the pandemic so far? You know, what's the most impactful in the future, in your opinion? I think that, um, that it may be two separate questions there, but, uh, you know, one, um, we have a, a lot of our partners and in, in, in retailers and hospitality uh, businesses using kiosks. And pretty much all the kiosks are built with a camera in the bezel. And, and what we saw really quickly uh, as the pandemic hit is a number of our, our, uh, our, our direct customers who are building these solutions uh, we're able to reprogram uh, the analytics for that camera and to deploy uh, kiosks that would check for mask wearing and also to count number of customers in a store and the, and, the, and the customers and the staff in the store to ensure safety. And we're talking about, you know, in a matter of weeks, they were able to go repurpose uh, a kiosk that was really oriented towards customer service and turn that into a tool that could be at the front of the store uh, to, to help customers be more safe, to give customers more comfort of their safety, and also, of course, to ensure the staff is safer. I'm, I'm definitely seeing those pop up in more so big box stores. A lot of places, you know, I'll go get pet food and I'll walk in and there's a, um, a kiosk with sanitizer. There's a button for me to press to um, get my pickup order or, you know, there's, there's a whole, it's almost like everything you need 
for asking a customer service question is right there. Keeping with our customer service analogy, if you, if you think about that menswear analogy, you could say, uh, and you look at that north in the northwest, um, if if that associate that you you worked with um, had a, they had a dry winter and didn't sell all the raincoats, um, he's going to try to pitch you a raincoat subtly. Um, but it, but if he knows he's out of stock in the size you wear, he's not going to mention the raincoat. Right. And if you contrast that with how promotion is typically done today in retail, uh, it's the brand paying for a position. You know, they're paying for the mannequin or they're paying for an end cap. And and the item is on that for a, a contractual amount of time. And if you talk to um, staff in, in like a department store, they'll tell you that whatever's on the mannequin sells out within a couple of days. And I, w- I was actually meeting with the founder and CEO of a huge um, uh, men's clothing brand and, and his kind of key team, key staff. And I was talking about this and it's like, you know, the problem is, you know, companies like yours will, will pay for something to be promoted for a week and it goes out of stock within a couple of days. And then somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I'd like to buy that. And like, oh, I'm sorry, that's the last one. Huh. And they're creating demand. And so there's a tremendous amount of real-time demand created in the store. 60% of, of the purchases by shoppers in the U.S. and the West, uh, I mean, in, the, in Western Europe, are for things people didn't know they were going to buy when they went to the store. It was demand really? created in the experience, created real time. You know, you go shopping as an activity, you see something that you like, and then you want to buy it. And instant gratification is a big part of that. And, and I think that where retail is going to be headed, your inventory uh, in the store will be linked into your promotion digital promotion system uh, along with uh, some anonymous analytics and you're going to uh, dynamically promote to shoppers what is likely to be interesting to them and that you have in stock right now got it that concludes the first part of our conversation with joe jensen of intel retail next time we talk we'll be delving into the impact of covid on retail and what comes next thank you karen have a good one thank you Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug Podcast, hosted by me, Ned Hayes, and brought to you by Snowshoe, snow.sh, for smarter mobile locations. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media.